start, again, I want to um, just a word to the parents. Um, we are going to talk about immorality today again. Um, it's not the main topic of the, the, the sermon because the main topic of 1 Corinthians 5 is not immorality per se, but we will address immorality. And if you have young children who cannot understand or if you want to explain them in your way, I understand. So I, and, and I'll give you this time to dismiss your children um, from, the, from the sermon. And hopefully at later today you can have, uh, you can have you know, an instruction time with them. So I'll give you a minute before we start. Okay, I think that will do it. So let's begin. So we are um, continuing our studies in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul's main point in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, like I said before, is not addressing sexual immorality per se. He talks about it clearly. He mentions it like a number of times. But the main point of 1 Corinthians 5 is not sexual immorality, but the way the church deals with sin. What we need to understand before we go into this chapter is if we are a Christian, if you are a Christian, then the Holy Spirit is constantly ministering to you. Christianity is not so much about the things that we do for God, although that's really important, because God has called us to be faithful with the things that he has given us. But, the main, but we cannot live the Christian life without the constant, continual ministry of the Holy Spirit. I think for me, I think, I think preaching is, and studying the Word of God is a natural outlet that I do as the Holy Spirit ministers to me throughout the week. The way you know that you are saved, whether you belong to Him, is if the Holy Spirit, if God Himself, is consistently ministering to you. And the type of ministry that the Holy Spirit does is He's the one who shines light on things. There are areas in our lives where we are, that we can't see. Yes, in Jesus Christ, that we have been forever become forgiven, and our eternal destinies is that we are the children of God, and that's true. That is a certain reality. But as we live in this time and space, the love of God is He sends the Holy Spirit to minister to us, and His ministry in our lives during this time is He shines light on areas of our lives that we couldn't see clearly. And, when, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he, he puts a flashlight and He makes you see things about yourself that you never really had seen clearly. And when the Holy Spirit reveals that, the natural response is that we repent. We seek forgiveness and renewal. We understand why Christ had to die for us. Right? And we understand it is because of these things God has, it is, it is these, for these things that God has forgiven us. And when we understand that, our spirits are renewed. So that's a constant thing. Like repentance is not just a one-time thing that you do at a retreat. Or it's not a, just a one-time event that you do when you had a religious experience, although those experiences are valid. But repentance is a constant thing. The presence of God reveals things to you about you, and, we, and you repent. And you're renewed and you're restored and you praise God. That's the cycle of, that's the cycle of Christian, Christian life. Repentance is not, when we, when we think of the idea of repentance, we think of like this, this super depressing, tears falling, I'm a miserable human being, overwhelmed by guilt type of experience. But that's not really repentance. I'll give you an example. Martin Luther, the one who started the Protestant Reformation in the 1400s, before he started the Reformation, he was a monk. He lived in a monastery. And what was known about Martin Luther was, even, even though he was secluded, right, he was amongst monks, he would go to confessionals, because Catholics have confessionals, he would go to confessionals every day and confess his sins to a priest for four hours a day, every day. He's in a monastery in the woods with other dudes, and he would just confess his sins four hours a day, every day. But his confession, Martin Luther says, didn't give him any relief. 
That's not the idea of repentance that God has in mind. The repentance that God has in mind is, yes, He reveals your sins. Yes, He reveals your shortcomings. But not just to stay in that revelation of your shortcomings and sin. But to understand that's the reason why Christ has died for you. And because Christ died for you, He forgives you of those sins. And when you understand that He forgives you of those sins, God gives you the desire to live to not live like that anymore. That's a constant cycle. And that's a secret of Christian joy, repentance. If there is spiritual dryness to us, if your spiritual walk is dry, I think in my experience, I think most of the reason why our spiritual lives are dry is because we're not repenting. And we're not repenting because the Holy Spirit is not shining His light on us. That's the reason. Christian joy, Christian vitality, Christian power always is associated with repentance. It's a good thing. God calling us repentance is a good thing because it is a cleansing thing. It is a purifying thing. It is a restoring kind of thing. The question we ask this morning is, is the Holy Spirit ministering to you? Is He shining His light constantly in your life? Are you constantly having your mind renewed? Are you constantly growing in the understanding that the reasons why Christ needed to die for you? And are you growing in the understanding that He loves you and He forgave you? If you're experiencing that, that's joy. If not, that is source of spiritual depression. So we are not just to, we are always called to deal with our sins, right? By, by through repentance and confession and restoration. And that is the source of Christian life. That's the source of Christian power. Likewise, the source of Christian power in the life of a church is also repentance. If the Holy Spirit loves our church, then like as, like as He is working through, like, as, just as He is working in individual lives by revealing their sins, the Holy Spirit will also reveal the sins of the church to us. If He loves us, He will reveal sin. And what are we to do when the Holy Spirit reveals sin in our midst? We are called to repent, ask for forgiveness, accept Christ's forgiveness, and experience His renewal, and deal with the sin that, that God revealed. The church, like Christian individuals, are called to deal with sin. And if we don't deal with our sin, it will suck the life out of our church. There are many dead churches in America and in Korea. And the most common denominator of all the spiritually dead churches is that they no longer deal with sin. There are so many empty churches with nice people attending. It's empty and it's lifeless because, the, because those churches do not deal with such issues as divorce. It, they do not deal with sexual morality. They do not deal with you know, homosexuality. They do not deal with idolatry. They do not deal with the greed amongst their members. They let their members slide. Out of this perverse definition of love, they tolerate people's sin, sin in the church. And because they do, because they do, the life of God, the power of God is not in their midst. This is the problem that Paul is having with the church in Corinth. We talked about it last week. There is a member of the church of Corinth. Perhaps he was an influential guy. But whoever he was, this guy was sleeping, continuously sleeping with his, with his stepmother. It wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't the fact that that guy did it once and repented. No, he was constantly, constantly engaged in that relationship. Even people outside of the church were aware of that relationship. And yet, the people in Corinth, the members of Corinth, were not mourning over that, mourning over his sins. We're not dealing with his sins. 
In fact, Paul says they were arrogant about it, which means that they, these people in Corinth thought that even though such things was going on, they thought there was nothing wrong with the church. And there's not so many churches in America. Even though there's so much sin going on in the midst of their members and their congregation, because their numbers do not dwell, because their budget is still high, they think there's nothing wrong with their church. But, and, and, that is, and, and, and that is a serious problem that Paul is, Paul, that is a serious problem that Paul is addressing in, in, in chapter 5. Paul says, why are you arrogant? Why are you not repenting? Why do you act as if there's nothing wrong with your church? You should mourn over this sin and you should deal with this sin. Otherwise, there's only de- de- otherwise death will occur in that church. You need to understand what God cares about more, more than anything else is the health of His people. The people of God, the church, The definition of church is the people of God. The church, in its most simplest definition, means assembly. People who are gathered, an assembly of gathered people. That's what a definition of church is. And we need to have this this great understanding and appreciation what the assembly, what the church is, what the people of God, who the people of God are. The people of God are the very ones for which Christ came to die for, for whom Christ came to this earth to die for. Christ came into the world, as Matthew says, to save his people from their sins. It is for the assembly, for the people of God, that God the Father sent Jesus Christ, his Son, for us. And what eternity will be when Jesus comes back, what our eternity will be that we will be with God, And we will be with the assembly of God. We will be with the people of God. Our eternal destiny is to be with God, Jesus Christ, and the assembly of God's people, praising Him, loving each other. That's our eternal destiny. There are no more precious relationships than the relationship that we have with fellow Christians because the the fellow Christians are the ones that God loves and the fellow Christians are the ones that we'll spend eternity with. You know, one of my favorite songs that we sing. What is one of my favorite songs that we sing? I stand, Jesus the Calvary. Right, that song, right? The third verse of that song is, the third verse of that song is, When with the ransomed in glory. When the ransomed with glory. What's the lyrics on show? So, wait a minute. The, the, the third verse of that song is, with the ransom with glory, his face at last I will see, and it will be my joy forever to sing of his great love for me. What that verse means is this. With the ransom in glory means people, people who have been ransomed, whose sins have been ransomed, and with whom, and sins that Christ has ransomed, and these people are the people of God. The ransomed in glory means the people of God, the assembly of God. And this song is saying, at the end of time, when Christ comes, with the people who have been ransomed, with the assembly of God, we will praise His name. The assembly of God, the people of God, the church of God. Oh, it is God's treasure, Ephesians says. That's our future. That's what, that's what we, that, wait, that is what waits for us in eternity. In this time and space, even though in this time and space, that truth continues. In this time and space that we live, we are also to be very careful, right, in our relationship with fellow people of God. In this time and space, God's people, for us, is the local church. The people with embrace for whom you are living your life with, these are the assembly of God. These are your brothers and sisters whom Christ has died for. And therefore, we have to be very careful in how we deal with each other. There's a book 
called um, What to Do If You're Not, what, what Should I Do Now That I Am a Christian? And it's written by this guy named Sam Imaldi. And Sam Imaldi's book is about now that you're saved, what, what has God, how has God called you to live? And the main purpose of this book, the main point of this book is if you are a Christian, if God has saved you, you are to spend the rest of your days belonging to a church, listening, learning together, learning the Word of God together, praying for one another, serving each other, raising your kids in the church. His argument is the New Testament is clear. If you are saved, God has called you to be plugged into a church, to live your Christian life amongst the church. Because of this great calling, God has called us to be very careful in our dealings with one another. Because the sins that we, that we, that we commit and, 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 and the improper ways that we deal with each other will contaminate the health of the church. Paul is saying, be very careful in how you deal with one another because your sins could potentially infect the church. And if your sins infect the church, God will be, God will be, like, God will be displeased and, and, and vengeful against you. All your parents will know that it is one thing for another person to insult you. But it's a different reality for your kids to be insulted. It's one thing for you to get hurt, but it's another thing for your children to get hurt. And if you're not careful, if you let your sins affect the body of Christ, how will God deal with you? That is why Paul is very strict about this guy who's committing immorality in the church. He says, kick him out. Not because Paul is heartless, but because Paul cares. Paul has a high view of the church. Paul has a high view of the assembly of the church. And Paul cannot stand a sin contaminating the people of God. We talked about it last week. Verse 6, Paul says, Your boasting is not good. Verse 7, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really, as you really are unleavened. So, we talked, so in verse 6 and 7, Paul talks about, Paul uses the analogy of the Passover feast to, 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 to direct the Corinthians of how to treat, and, how to treat immorality amongst their midst. And we, and we briefly talked about it last week. In Exodus 12, during the Exodus, when God delivers Israel out of Egypt, God commands the people of God to celebrate the day that God delivered them out of slavery, right? That's called a Passover feast, right? Passover feast is the most important holiday in the Jewish calendar, and it is a holiday where people celebrate God's, deliver, God's deliverance of the people of God out, out of Egypt. And one of, in Exodus 12, God says, the way you celebrate that day is that you do not eat unleavened, that, that, that you do not eat leavened bread. He says the way you celebrate Passover is by baking bread without yeast, without leaven. And I briefly, and there are many reasons why God calls Israel to not, not eat leavened bread to celebrate the Passover feast. Right? And we kind of briefly talked about one of the reasons last week. But the main reason why God says do not eat leavened bread to celebrate the Passover feast, is that Israel, when they were slaves in Egypt, the type of bread that they eat, that they ate, was leavened bread. They used yeast leaven to bake bread while, when they were slaves in Egypt. And God is saying, do not use yeast anymore, right? Do not eat leavened bread when you're celebrating Passover because you are no longer slaves. The unleavened bread, bread without yeast, bread that they did not eat, the type of bread they did not eat when they were slaves. This is the type of bread that you, you should eat because you are no longer slaves. You are delivered people of God. That's what unleavened bread symbolizes. Their new reality, not as slaves, but as people of God. 
So when Paul says, when Paul uses that example of old leaven, he's referring to the old way, our, our, fallen, our, our old way of, of, of seeing things, doing things, feeling about things, interpreting things. The old leaven symbolizes the, our old selves, selves that were re- rebelling against God, priorities that was against God's priority, treating other people the way we, want, the, the way we feel that they ought to be treated. Paul says, do not treat people with your old selves, but rather treat people with new leaven, the new reality of Christ. The new leaven symbolizes symbolizes the new reality we have in Christ. When Jesus Christ saves you, he turns on the light, and you see things with new eyes. The way you see yourself, the way you see, you know, your sins, the way you see your money, the way you see your relationship, the way you see things, it just, you get, you get new eyes. That's how you know that you're saved. You interpret things in new ways. You see things truthfully. And if you, and that's the, that's the, that's the evidence of salvation. The ministry of the Holy Spirit giving you new eyes. Paul says, do not treat each other with your old selves. Treat, your, treat each other with the new reality that is in Christ Jesus. The question we ask this morning is this. Do you, are you, do you have new leaven? Do you know the new reality? Do you, do you see things with the, newer, with the new reality? Do you understand things in, through the lens of truth which is revealed in God's word? Are your words and your behaviors and your priorities and your purpose, are they new? Are they in line with the revealed word of God? Or, does, or do they, or do you reflect more of the fallen world? Your issues about sex, your issues about idolatry, your issues about money, all these things, does it reflect more on the new reality in Christ or is it a reflection of your old self? The problem with remaining with old leaven is this. If you claim to be a Christian and yet you are still in your old selves, Paul says, you will contaminate the body. Leaven, like I said last week, is used, yeast is used to make the bread rise. A little leaven makes the bread rise. Old leaven is your old sins. It doesn't when we are in our old self, it just doesn't stay within us. When we are in our old selves, when we are in our old leaven, when we continue sinning based on our old selves, then our sins will rise with the body and it will start contaminating the body. More so than anything else in this current time and space during the coronavirus, we know the dangers of contamination. We know the dangers of, mutual, of, of infecting people. Families infecting other family members, families of infecting friends. We know the dangers of the rapidly, you know, rapid dissemination of viruses. Likewise, Paul says, the spiritual sin, our sins, are not just contained within us. It rises and contaminates the body of Christ. That's why Paul says, kick the man out, purge the evil amongst you. My brothers and sisters, your sin is not, your, it's not just your own issue. The things that we watch, the things that we say, the way we live, is not just contained within you. It will affect the body. Because the body of Christ is an organic body. It will affect. My sins will affect the body. It will. Your sins will affect the body. Paul says, do not live with old leaven. The old leaven is malice and evil. The old way of, the the, the old leaven is malice, which is evil intent. Intent to harm Evil is an execution of malice. 
The word evil means destruction. Paul says the old self, you had evil and you had malice. You had intent to harm people and, and you were evil. You executed your malice and you, you, you destroyed other people. If you think about it, the old way, the malice way, it's not, it, it, it's, it's, malice is still very prevalent in churches. And the way malice, like this, this, this desire to harm people, the way it is manifested in churches is through gossip. And I'm not talking about any issues in embrace, but I'm talking generally with SPC, with all the churches that I belong to, the malice that is contaminating the church the most dangerous form of contamination is sly gossip. We gossip behind people's back. We destroy their character. That's definition of evil. That is contaminating the church more than anything else. Paul says, do not treat each other with malice and evil. New leaven the way, you, the way you treat people with new leaven is with sincerity and truth. The word sincerity, like I said during the, during the time of repentance, the definition of sincerity is judging all things under the light of the sun. When you put everything under the light of the sun, it, things become clear. That's what sincerity means. What he means is this, in all things, Put it under the light of the new reality of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the truth. His truth is revealed in the word of God. He's saying, interpret all things, especially your relationship with your brothers and sisters, under the light of, the, uh, uh, under the light of God's word. We are not called. I know we, we're tempted. I, we're tempted. Right? We're tempted to treat each other in our natural way. We are. Like sometimes when I get up, right? I get up and when I go downstairs, my wife just asks me questions after questions and questions. And it is very tempting for me just to like be very snippy about it because I'm, you know, I'm a grouch when I wake up. It is very tempting for me just to treat her the way that I initially want to treat her. But God says don't do that. Don't treat her like the way you think you ought to treat her. Treat her under the, under the revealed will of God's word. And under God's word, she is, my, she, is my flesh. she is my helper. We are one flesh. Your natural selves want to treat people the way you want to treat them. With malice and evil. But don't do that. Be sincere. Treat them in accordance with the revealed word of God and the spirit of Jesus Christ. The new way of treating people is the sincerity under the God's word and truth. That's how you treat, treat people, how, how to treat people. When we treat people with malice and evil, our, our bodies will, uh, the, the, the assembly, the church of God will die. When we treat each other with sincerity and truth, our church will start to live. I don't know how big our church will be. That's not my call. But what, I am, what we are called to be is not big or small. But what we are called to be is to be healthy. If you're a part of Embrace, if you're a member of Embrace, when God calls, when God calls account of what we have done in his name in this earth, what he will see is, have we made the church healthy? He is not going to judge us from making the, of the size of the church. That's his call. But he's going to judge us based upon the health of the church. I know there are a lot of people look, watching this, and you guys are serving the church, and, that, and we're really grateful for you. And, and these things that you do for the church are important. They are. But more important than the type of ministries that we do is, are we contributing to the health of the church? The health of the church is we need to deal with each other sincerely in the light of the revealed will of God, reflecting, the, reflecting Jesus Christ and dealing with each other in truth. 
Are we disciplining? Are we discipling each other with the truth? Are we loving each other with the truth? Are we praying for one another in truth? If you're contributing to the health of our church by dealing with each other's sincerity and truth, oh, God will be pleased with you. But regardless of what you do in the name of ministry, if you are contributing to the destruction of the health of the church through your gossip and your judgments and your, through, your, through your just divisive nature, regardless of what you do in his name, will he be pleased with you? Will he be pleased with you for your attendance and for your service? Or will he be pleased with you through your contribution to the health of our church? Look, maybe we've got to approach small groups and prayer meetings in a different way. Small groups and prayer meetings, they're not just there for your edification. There are opportunities where we can deal with each other, where we can treat each other with sincerity and truth. Every small group that I visit, at the end, God bless them. Truth is revealed. Every prayer meeting that I attend, God bless Pastor Eugene. Truth is being prayed for. You want to serve the church? You want to contribute to the health of the church? Seize those opportunities where we can deal with each other with truth and sincerity. The health of a church is so important to God. To the point where Paul says, if there is, verse 11, because the, church, the health of the church is so important, Paul says any, peop, any person that calls themselves Christian and yet are sexually immoral, are drunkards, are revilers, are swindlers, idolaters, or greedy, do not associate with them. Before we go into what Paul says in, 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 in these verses, Paul makes a division between how we are to treat the people outside of the church and how we are to treat people inside of the church. For, for members, for example, Paul is teaching there's a difference in a way that you treat people who are, who are members of the church and who are non-members of the church. Non-members of the church are the people who are outside of the church. Members of the church are the people inside of the church. And Paul clearly says there is a way that you have to treat these two groups of people differently. Let's talk about the first group. Paul says in verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not, not, a, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. So in verse 9, Paul is referring to an early letter he wrote to the Corinthians. And in that letter, Paul says, don't associate with sexually immoral people. And what the Corinthians did was, he, they, they read that word, they, they, they read that letter, and they thought, okay, well, the sexually immoral are the people outside of the church. So when, and, 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 and so Paul, they thought, Paul's definition of sexually immoral people are those outside of the church. So what the Corinthians did was, they severed all relationships that is outside of the church. So they go, okay, Paul, Paul means, okay, don't associate with the sexually immoral people outside of the church. So I'm not going to hang out with them anymore. But what they didn't understand, right, was that they disassociated with the sexually immoral outside of the church, and yet what they were doing was they were tolerating sexual immorality within the church. Do you see what, what, what is happening? When they initially read Paul's letter, they thought Paul meant, okay, don't hang out with people outside of the church. But the problem was they were okay with sexual immorality within the church. In verse 9, Paul is correcting that. Paul is saying, no, 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 I, I, got, I think you guys misunderstand. When I wrote to you not to associate with sexually immoral people, I do not mean not to, I don't mean judge the people outside of the church. Because in verse, verse, verse 9, Paul says, in verse 9 and 10, Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since then you will need to go out of the world. Paul is saying, look, you're reading, uh, you're reading my letter as if I'm telling you not to associate with the people of the world. But that's impossible. Because you work in the world, right? You do business in the world, right? You, 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 you are, you're neighbors with the people of the world. 
It is impossible for you to disassociate with sexually, sexually immoral people because everyone in the world is sexually immoral and there's no way that you can stop connecting. There's no way that you could, you could stop connecting with those people because your very reality is that you live amongst them. There are, you see it sometimes, right? Like the Christians who think, oh, okay, I don't want to, the world is dirty and I don't want to like, I don't want to associate myself in the world. So I'm going to like, you know, make my own little community and not, like, associate with the world. That's called a cult, by the way. Right? Oh, oh, I'm going to, like, you know, I'm not going to deal with the world. I'm just going to be with my own people. Paul is saying, no, don't do that. It's impossible for you to do that. In fact, God has not called you out of the world, Jesus says, but in the world, right? So these people thought, okay, I'm not going to associate with sexually more people outside of the, outside of the church but they're okay with sexually, sexual immorality within the church. Paul says, that's your mistake. When I wrote to you earlier, I did not mean not to, not to cut yourself off from the world. I meant to not to associate sexually immoral, sexual immorality within the church. Paul makes a distinction between how we treat people outside of the church and how you treat the people inside of the church, how you treat people outside of the church, non-members, non-believers, you are not called to judge them. We are not called to judge the unbelievers. We are called to evangelize to them. We are called to be kind to them. We are called to do great works amongst them. We are called to you know, be a good friend to them, but never to judge them. Because it is not our right to judge them. It is God who judges them. I work in D.C., as you know. And I work with a lot of young people. And maybe more so than anywhere else in my life, in my career. I work with a lot of, a lot of gay people. I make my, by God's grace, I told them what my stance on homosexuality was. But for some reason... My gay coworkers really like me. And I thought that was really weird. And they were like, you know, there was a, like my former paralegal, oh, like, like, I love her, right? And, and, but, you know, she was of the same. And so I was always wondering about that. So, I, so after she, I asked one of her friends, another paralegal, and I said, look, this person knows my stance against homosexuality. And yet she's in a same-sex relationship. And yet... She doesn't hate me. How is that possible, I, I asked. And she says, even though she understands your position, she also knows that you like her and that you respect her. She knows that you're solid with her. And I go, huh. I was kind of proud of myself. That's what, kind of, that's what we're called to do, I think. People who are outside of the church, make the truth of God known to them, gently, but not to judge them. Because God is the one who judges. We are not called to repay evil with evil, repay evil with kindness and good. We're called to be gentle, we're called to be good workers, we're called to be good friends. Evangelize to them, make them know the truth of God, yes. But not judge. We are to, go, we are to judge those who are inside of the church. Because people on the inside of the church can contaminate the health of the church. In the church, there are sexually immoral people. There are people having premarital sex, continuously having premarital sex. I'm not saying like condemn people who, who sin, who confess, not those people, but who continually sinning, sexually immoral lives. There are people in the church who are greedy, who are idolaters, who are revilers who are continuing to do so. How are we to treat those people? We are to judge them. Judging them means not, not condemning them. Judging them means this way. If we know that they're sinning, then we approach them. And out of love, we say, brother and sister, I know you're sinning, but it's wrong. You're going against the will of God. Please reconsider. And if they repent, praise the Lord. 
But if they don't repent, then you bring two or three witnesses and you talk to the person again. Oh, we love you. Please, please, please. Repent. If they don't do it, then the church is brought, the matter is brought to the church and the church reaches out. And if they continually sin, even after the church reaches out to them, Jesus says, treat them as an unbeliever. Paul says, kick them out. Do not even associate with them. Do not even eat with them. Paul is saying, how do you treat unrepenting people who are so-called Christians within the church? Do not associate with them. Don't even eat with them, Paul says. Why? Number one, that's how you purge evil from the church. We have an understanding that we should be loving to our brothers and sisters, and that's true. But loving doesn't mean tolerating their sin. In fact, if we tolerate their sin, if we keep on associating with unrepentant people and treating treat them like a brother and sisters in Christ, if we continue to treat them as a fellow brother and sisters in Christ, then in their minds they think their sin is okay. In the name of toler- being tolerant and loving, if we're just treating them as fellow Christians, even though they're unrepentant, we're not doing them any favors. We're allowing evil to, be, to, 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 to persist in their lives and within the church. And we're letting them destroy the health of the church. Paul says, therefore, do not even eat with those people. The call is to love people. But loving people doesn't mean not offending them. More important than offending people is the health of the church. Maybe treating each other this way. Maybe we will, maybe, you know, we'll never grow as a church. Maybe we're not, we're not, maybe we're, we're not going to grow in numbers because people don't want to be, people don't want to hear the truth, right? But even if our numbers will always be where we are, as long as the body is healthy, God is honored and glorified. And in fact, to such bodies, to such healthy bodies, God uses to convert people. Did you know that? If we are healthy, Acts 2 clearly shows, God will add to our numbers. God will send us people who need to be saved. So the best way to evangelize, they say, is to make the church healthy the best way that we can be used by God to evangelize to the lost out there is, so that, is by making our body healthy. If, we, if our body is exactly the same as the world, if our values are exactly the same as the world, then why would people come to us to be saved? We are called, we are called to judge the brother and sister. Judge each other in sincerity and in truth for the health of the church. And second reason, for the health of that brother and sister. Like I said, if, you, if we just treat them as a regular Christian, even though they're unrepentant, they're not going to repent over their sins, and they're going to face destruction. It is for the, for the sake that we disassociate with that person so that that person will know what they're doing is wrong so that they will repent. God has called us to do that. The call, brothers and sisters, is to make the church healthy. That's your mission. That's my mission. And we do it by treating each other with sincerity and in truth. And we do it also by, having, by, by living differently. How do we contribute to the health of the church? Live differently. Do not live sexually immoral lives. For your sake, for the sake of the church, do not live sexually immoral lives. Do not have sex outside of, the, outside of the divine purposes of God. Premarital sex, homosexuality, pornography, do not stay away from it. Did you know there was a study? I think Alistair Beck quoted this study. That women out there, their, their, their fear of, of, of sexual violation, they say they don't feel safer just because they're dating a Christian, which means the study shows just because a man is Christian, it doesn't alleviate women's fear that they're going to be sexually violated. 
which means that the world knows just because a man calls himself a Christian, it doesn't mean that they're going to respect their bodies. Just because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be tempted to be sexually immoral. Single men, do you want to contribute to the health of the church to not be sexually immoral? Not only sexual morality, be different in idolatry. Everyone and their mothers in society worships the American dream or worships, I don't know, whatever they worship. Don't worship like what they worship. Don't be revilers. Don't hate people. Don't be drunkards. If you want to contribute to the health of the church, revisit your attitude towards alcohol. I'm not saying don't drink. I'm not saying don't, you know, I'm not saying alcohol is the devil's juice. I'm not saying that. But if you are consistently drinking with your coworkers and getting drunk, reconsider what you're doing for the, for the sake of the church, for the health of the church, for your sake. Revisit your attitude towards alcohol. Revisit swindlers. Revisit lying and the way you use your money. Revisit greed. For the sake of the church, revisit these issues. Do not live, live differently from the world. You will make yourself and the church healthy. God calls you to live differently, and He will help you live differently. He will help, He will give you new eyes. That's what salvation does. Go to Him. Examine all things through the light of the sun. Be faithful to his call for the health of the church. When we do, he will be pleased with us. When we do, he will use us to do great things. Let us pray. I know we have a lot of focus in our lives. I think I know we think our lives about, I don't know, our careers, our kids. Um, we think our lives are about other things. At the end of the day, God's call while we live in this earth, it's to contribute to the health of the church. It is to serve each other through sincerity and truth. It is to live differently. The question we ask ourselves this morning is, first of all, do you have new, are you, do you have new leaven? I know many of you have gone to church for, for all your lives, but that doesn't make you have new leaven. The indication of whether you have new leaven, the indication that you have been united with Christ is that you, do you have new eyes to see things? And the way you approach things, whether it is money, whether it is sex, whether it is entertainment, are they different from your old selves? If you are not, if you don't have new leaven, this is an opportunity for you to confess the fact that you are not a Christian and for Jesus Christ to save you. Are you living a sexually immoral life? Are you thinking that it is perfectly acceptable for, for, what you, for, the, for the immorality that you're in because what you do in secret is secret? What you do in secret is not just a secret sin. It will affect the body of Christ. Repent of that. You're added towards alcohol, towards idolatry, towards the very purpose of life. Is it God-oriented? Is is it God-honoring? Or are you doing and you're living the way you want to live? Please repent and ask God to give you new priorities, make make you reconsider these things for your sake and for the sake of the church. Let us pray for these things and we'll end. Father, we confess that, Lord, that we think our old ways are, the, are the, still the right ways. We think malice and evil is still a natural way to deal with people. We think, Father, we adopt, we adapt the sexual ethics of the world rather than your holy, your holy call. You know, dealing with alcohol and idolatry and, and money and greed and all these things. We are tempted to, to live in such a way 
that is more of a reflection of the worldly values rather than the new values of Jesus Christ. We wonder why our spiritual lives are, 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 not, are not healthy. We wonder why, Father, the, 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 why we're so stagnant in our growth. Perhaps we are not growing because, Father, that we are not seeing things through your eyes. Perhaps we're not growing because we live in contrary to the nature that you have called us to be. And maybe we are not growing because we were never, we were never yours in the first place. Father, you change us. You change your people to reflect who you are. And that's really true. I pray wherever we are, wherever conditions that we're in, that you do not let us stay where we are. But you let us be sincere. You let us see the light of Jesus Christ. And may this vision, Lord, make a difference in the way we live our lives. I pray, Father, that you will make us contributors to the health of the church. May we not May, we are, may our gossips and judgments and foolishness, Father, if we are doing such things, forgive us and stop us from destroying the health of the church. But make us people of sincerity and truth. Give us opportunities to be sincere, to be sincere in truth so that we will do what you have called us to be, which is to contribute to the life of the church. Father, there are those of us who are really sick, and there are those of us with family members who are really, really ill. I pray that you remember them. And I pray your active, real healing hands will heal them. There are those of us who are suffering greatly because, of our, because we've been furloughed and, we've, we, and we don't have any money coming in our way. And we don't know what to do. Father, provide for those brothers and sisters call the church to provide for them. Father, work, in, work orchestrate things so that, so that you will provide for them with new jobs. May they know, Lord, that um, you are the giver of daily bread. And may they continually hope in you. Father, what we know as we live this life is that nothing is predictable, nothing is certain. But the only thing that is certain is you. So may embrace, Father, hope in your reality, hope in your sovereignty, so that, Lord, that, so that we will have confidence in this time of struggles. All these things, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.